three, two, one. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Failure Friday. We took a bit of a hiatus during the holidays, but thank you for sticking with me. Today, we have a new guest. Like all previous episodes, we typically have clients, sometimes friends, and then other times just Instagram friends or strangers that we meet through messaging that apply and it seems like a good fit. And today we have Miss Coach B. She is first of all a mother and she has an interesting background with that so I can't wait for her to touch on that. But she's also a personal financial coach and owner of Young, Rich and Rooted where her goal is, to, this is a hell of a tagline, her goal and passion is to help women become financially unfuckwithable through empowerment and personally garnered wisdom. It's probably the best tagline I've ever heard. I don't know how you're going to trademark that, but maybe you, maybe you won't have to. Maybe you won't have to. So, Betty, give us a little bit of a background into how the hell you got here. What brought you here? Oh, um, I want to say on one end, I feel like I have always been on this path, whether I knew it or not. Like all my careers growing up um, as an adult anyway, ended up being in the finance field and initially it wasn't intentional. Um, but when I look back at my life as a child, I remember some very distinct moments that make it clear like, okay, you were setting me up for this to begin with. Um, for example, when I was uh, in, in high school, I, I remember asking my pastor at the time if I could do a financial aid workshop because I felt like the, the friends of mine who went to my town's high school weren't getting opportunities to find out about school scholarships and I went to an honors high school and our guidance counselors were giving us scholarship information every day and I felt like it was unfair to my friends who were just as smart but just didn't have an opportunity to go to this school so I feel like I've been like an activist <laughs> for finances from um, a young age but I think what really pushed me to it later in life is kind of like feeling like the path uh, towards the Amer American dream was rigged and it was leaving a lot of us feeling trapped. Um, for most of us, simply being sold like a dream without full context. We were made to believe that there was only one way to earn income, only one way to learn, um, only one way to spend, and it's a myth. And as I grow older and I'm being exposed to so many things, it is frustrating for me because I know that the trajectory of my life would be completely different if I simply had the information. If the people in my community simply had the information, we could have made different choices in life. And so I feel like it's my responsibility as I learn things to teach it immediately um, so that people have more choices. Um, I distinctly remember I was telling a friend of mine who, you know, a story about um, me being brutally attacked. And um, I was raped and I was in the hospital and I remember thinking, what time oh are God. they gonna discharge me? How are you just gonna drop that? <laughs> I'm like, sorry. I just went from zero to 60, like so <laughs> fast. <laughs> I don't wanna blow you away. But we it's, went from is... high school and grant opportunities to full-blown rape. Like, can you? You got a transition there, all right? Was was it, um, was, and this is important too because a lot of people I found out, especially in the last five years, I feel like we're talking more about this. In their mind, rape is just someone breaks in and, and you know, holds a gun to your head and rape. It's, it looks so different depending on the situation. 
if you're comfortable with it, talk more about that experience. Because I'm sure that played a pivotal role into your empowerment movement here. It does. And I didn't realize it at the time. This is one of the reasons why I love the topic that this podcast is about, because that wasn't like an actual failure of mine, but it was a moment where a lot of our failures and our pain becomes purpose. And um, it wasn't in just till a couple of years ago that I realized the real driving factor to why I do this. Um, that was traumatic. My, uh, you know, I was living in a transition shelter at the time with my two-year-old and um, a transitional home, actually. And um, I remember thinking, I'm going to die. I'm never going to see my child again. Um, and I almost didn't go to the hospital. I remember very clearly because I didn't want the additional trauma of what just happened. And then, you know, the rape kit was exactly as I expected it to be. It was um, like insult to injury. And I remember just wanting to go home. But a bigger thought was I had been there for so long that I was scheduled to work that day. Um, it, And I was starting to worry about being late for work. And so I started looking at the clock, like what time am I gonna get discharged? Um, do you know what time I'm gonna get discharged? And I'm telling this story to my friend a couple of years ago and she's like, Betty, can I ask you a question? Like, why was your very first thought after something so traumatizing going to work? And without missing a beat, I was like, I was homeless. I didn't have a choice. And when I said it, I heard myself say it and was like, I didn't have a choice. I didn't feel like I could afford to take a day off to process trauma like that, where I had brought been brought close to the edge of my life. I felt like I have to go to work today. And it made me think of how many times before that and after that, I felt like I couldn't afford to do what was best for me. And how many women out there feel like financially they can't afford to do what's best for, for them. Prior to that, I was in, you know, an abusive relationship. And I know that some of the reasons why I stayed was because his, what his contribution was helped make up the difference. And it mm -hmm. makes me think of how many women are feeling trapped in, you know, abusive marriages or feeling stuck at toxic jobs, um, just stuck in, in living environments, you know, in communities that that they can't thrive in because they feel like they can't afford to choose what's best for them. So for me, this work has become like a mission to give people choice um, and to do it without feeling fear, shame, or guilt. I think it's awesome. I think it's also terrifying. I think uh, as someone who also talks with a lot of direct intention and I like to use just just like you, exactly what you did. You just kind of dropped a bomb and then you let people deal with the bomb that you dropped. And then based off of the pieces that they pick up, you, you use those pieces to decide how you're gonna move forward in helping them. I operate in the same way, almost delivering this, this shock value that you, you can learn a lot about people when you share your trauma, what they choose to relate it to it in their own life, if that makes sense, how they mirror that experience. And I think that's beautiful that you are at a place in your healing, or maybe you're not at a place, because how I handle trauma is I talk about it, even if I'm not necessarily Ready. over it or haven't processed it or free from it. 
um, I talk about it and I share it with people because using my experience to help other people helps me process it. And I think that that's beautiful. I think that that's beautiful what you're doing. And I'm sure as much as we want to pretend that it doesn't exist, a lot more women can identify that than we would like to admit. Unfortunately, and, and I have done a lot of healing. I mean, in the beginning, I couldn't talk about it at all. I went for years and never said anything. Um, and now it feels empowering to talk about it. So I, I can drop that so easily because it feels like I've reclaimed my power because I know the purpose of it or I know how God has allowed me to use it. And so I'm not afraid of it anymore. Um, I don't feel like it was a complete loss. There were there was a lot of damage done. There's a lot of things that I still, you know, that it still affects me to this day from, you know, that experience. But the biggest takeaway for me is if that hadn't happened, I might, entrepreneurship is not for, for, for the faint at heart. <laughs> Mm. And um, I may have given up many times before, but because this is so deeply rooted, I can't because I think about the lives who are attached to me, who they're just waiting for me to put myself out there so that they can, people that only can hear from me, who my language resonates with them, my personality resonates with them, my story, my background, um, resonates with them and they're literally waiting for me to show up in a space and so I couldn't afford to wait to be perfect I couldn't wait uh, afford yes. to wait till I had it all together um, I realized that God wouldn't have given me this vision if he didn't want me to execute it and I had to trust God with everything that was going to be required for me to fulfill this mission and I want to I want to touch on that. When we say trust God, that He wouldn't give you this vision if He didn't want you to pursue it. I was talking to a client about this earlier, and he was like, "I, I he has a very strong faith, probably stronger than mine at this point in my journey." And he had started a business and it failed, and he had to sell it. And he was very he was in the healing stages of when you put your all into a business and then you lose a too much and you realize all right this is he, he kept saying in our conversation over and over I just don't understand why God would give me such strong conviction about starting this business and then let it fail and we kind of sat there in that for for a little and I, I I believe that just because you have a strong conviction or you have a, a vision to pursue something and it's so strong and you feel it feels so sure it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect it doesn't mean that that first endeavor that you attempt to do was the bigger picture yes i'm not mean, saying that this isn't for you but no I'm just no saying, you're like, right failure can be part of his plan the for process. you too <laughs> this is so funny me and my sister just recorded a, a podcast episode to, uh, earlier just this morning and we were talking about vision and um and failure and you know having visions too big for us is is how God keeps us connected to him because if we only operate inside of our vision we tend to create visions that we feel like we can do but God's vision for us is big and he doesn't always reveal all the pieces because if he showed us the big picture we would see that we've got to go through lows <laughs> and we gonna mm -hmm. be like I'm not signing up for that <laughs> So yeah, he has got to no, hide some of the right. things like losing the business to show, you know, the big, you know, to, to keep you doing it. And I feel like 
failure at what I've what I've been learning recently because let me tell you I've been through my my share of them of setbacks last year was my year of trust don't ever ask God for um something <laughs> not understanding how God delivers <laughs> that he was like oh you want to develop trust this year I'm gonna give you a bunch of situations you you need yeah. to trust me in and they were out of my control <laughs> but what it showed me just like the whole situation with being homeless and the assault is that a lot of times, you know, a lot of times my clients will come to me and they'll be like, I wish I had started sooner. I wish I had started sooner. And they feel like so much regret, like they would be further along. And one thing that I have noticed is that the clients who like, they, you know, they reach out to me and then they don't take action right away because of whatever fear they're, you know, they're telling themselves in a moment, like a year later, they come back. They are 10 times more motivated and I had a client the other day that that called me up and was like, I'm ready, fuck this day. Like, <laughs> the energy was like, listen, she might have, if she had started a year prior to, she might've made progress, but she might not have been nearly as aggressive as she is right now. And so I yes. kind of think of failure sometimes like a slingshot or a rubber band, that sometimes you have to have setbacks. And that setback, if you trust God, will catapult you forward faster than you would have if you had just casually walked the path the whole way without any hiccups you know having a setback does not mean the end of it you know oh i i talk about the opposite opposite side of what you're discussing right now with in my discovery call with people especially my financial planning clients which are probably not a lot of them are probably are not a lot different than your coaching clients. Mm -hmm. My financial planning clients typically are at the stage where a lot of them are high earners. Some of them aren't, but some of them are, and they, you know, they're in their 40s and 50s, and they've earned a good wage their entire life. But they, because they've earned a good wage, they've just spent it. They weren't, they weren't really thinking about planning because they've always had enough, and they've, you know, they make six figures. Why time just got away from them? And in my discovery call, I found that probably over half the people I talk to getting their finances organized or getting a financial plan done or talking to someone like me or talking to someone like you is on their to-do list and then it's intended to be checked off their to-do list mm -hmm. and then they move on to the next thing but I, t I ask people that question like where are you at in your journey to get this shit together because if this is just something on your to-do list and you're going to fail mm -hmm. pursuing your finances pursuing financial well-being, planning. I mean, I come in, I'll do the plan. I'll design the, I love, I love designing plans. It's one of my favorite uh, services that I offer because it's like a puzzle. But then you have to be aggressive and assertive or dedicated or committed enough to follow that plan. Mm -hmm. And I found that the people that are most successful at following that plan come to me almost in a time of strife or it's gotten so bad or they've waited so long, they have no choice. Mm -hmm. And I never, I really, never really foresaw that as my most successful client, someone that's in, in a period, a season of, of trial. But you're right, you're absolutely right. I would rather have someone who waited a year too long and is actually going to do what they need to do to get it done than someone that's gonna continue to dilly-dally mm -hmm. exactly. for another two years. Exactly, I think, um... You know, there's something to be said about taking action when you know it. And I, and I think my comment was really meant to address people who, who didn't know better or, you know, they, they needed to work on some things to get over the fears. And it's like now they're in a red, they're in a place 
where they're ready to do it, but they're still lingering in regret, which is a waste of our imagination. It's a wasted emotion because there's nothing we can do to change the past. It happened. You know, we wish you took a, took action sooner, but the next best time to take action is today and you're doing it. Um, and I fully believe that we're always where exactly where we're supposed to be. And um, while, of course, if you start investing, for example, early and consistently, it's so much easier and it's, you know, a lot less work to get the results that you want. Most of us don't have the luxury of even knowing that we can do that or how to go about doing mm -hmm. it. And so most of us are finding out too late and it's not a willful delay. It is purely just ignorance and not really knowing how to do it or how to go about it. Um, so, you know, that's that's that piece. It's like not feeling shame about what you didn't know or what you didn't do and just moving forward with what it is. And, and like you said, that financial crisis uh, is a huge motivator. Sometimes financial crisis can throw you into paralysis and, and they can do nothing because they don't want to look at the situation. They just want to pretend like it doesn't really exist um, because who needs that negativity of seeing your bank balance? And other times it's a, 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 a rush to correct and an aggressiveness. And they say, you know, humans are creatures of habit. We want, our brains want to do what it knows to do. And we're not really willing to change unless, you know, the pain of staying the same hurts more than the pain of changing. And in your, you know, client's case, the pain of staying the same was was increasing as they got older and realized, oh my gosh, I'm almost at the end of my career and I haven't really done anything. And now that pain is way more pronounced than it was, you know, 20 years ago. And so now they make that shift. And I, I think our, our role is beautiful because we get to help walk them through it and help them figure out a path, you know, even if they're late. Um, so. You mentioned in the transitional shelter, your two-year-old, and I believe you said daughter, or it might just be from my notes Not before. <laughs> How, I'm sure she's much older now. She's 14? 14. Yes. <laughs> 14. What are you doing or have done with her to prevent her from the learning, uh, what's that word? I can't the learning curve that so many people you know have experienced? I always say Jordan was my first client. Um, <laughs> Jordan, Jordan has, you know, she's been here for the whole ride. You know, even when she didn't understand that the transitional home we lived in was, that's what it was to her, it was just where we lived. Um, she's been there all along and I was really transparent with a lot of things, not to a point of like traumatizing her, but like, you know, we had conversations around money. I wanted to normalize conversations about money where it's not only happening when yes. something's wrong. So important. Um, yeah, it's where it's, it's there's no fear around it that, oh, I don't want to take this, I don't want her to take that into her marriage that we don't talk about money because the only times I ever heard my parents talk about money is when they were fighting or something bad. So I wanted money talks to just be normal to her. Um, I always say like, it never even occurs to Jordan to earn a dollar and spend it all. Like it does does not occur to her to do that because that's a habit that I've instilled in her to, since she was little. I had to develop that habit, but that was a habit she'd always has. Jordan's been budgeting since she was four years old. Um, she currently has three businesses. She's written two books. I think I got two of them behind me. Um, and, and her, her, her process had been, you know, when she was little, she said, 
she wanted to be an author. She was like three years old, an author and an illustrator. And I was like, she learned some new vocab words today. I really didn't take it very seriously. And she continued to show interest and her teachers continued to talk about like how advanced she was as a writer. And I remember one day saying to her, you know, I was thinking maybe we could write a book together. And she literally fell on the floor, like passed out, like oh, I'm gonna be an author. And it, I realized it never occurred to her that she could do that as a kid that she really thought that she had to be a grown up for her to do it. And we didn't do anything with it right then um, because she still was a little intimidated. It wasn't until a couple years later, she was nine when she wrote her first book and published it at 11. And she wrote that book on her own. Wow. And it was about that discovering that we inherently all have gifts and skills, monetizable sk gifts and skills, um, that we are all born with greatness and, um, and that we're born rich. My daughter's brand is called Born Rich. And, and what she means by that, it just means that we have people who can support us, teachers um, who give us access to information, parents who can help us, natural born talents, and then skills that we can develop. And all of those things are what we can use to become wealthy. Um, we already are rich. We just simply need to recognize and identify it. And even inside of my business, I realize like that's my superpower. My clients is realizing their inherent skill set that they have not been tapping into, that they are not, you know, they're undervaluing. So they're not asking for the right pay, you know, in their job or they're not creating businesses or putting out ideas because they don't really see that as worthy that somebody would pay for it. So for my daughter, it's just been a lot about allowing her to explore what she's great at and showing her how to monetize those things that she, she shoots to. My feelings for her is, um, you know, Jordan told me one day, she was like, oh, you know, it's like really complicated when you have a lot of talents because now I don't know what I want to be. And I, you know, I feel, feel really <laughs> confused. And I was like, oh, the darn. Beauty, <laughs> the beauty is like, you don't have to choose just one thing. I was like, however, you know, I, I think figuring out what is choosing one thing to really master and, and making good money from that so that you have the freedom to explore other things. It's kind of what I would aspire for you, but I would aspire for you to do that with your passive income and your books do that. I was like, Jordan, you went to school today. You made 400 some odd dollars while you were in school because your book sold. Right now you, you want to be an actress. And there's the term starving artist for a reason, because that mm -hmm. industry, you might have a gig and then might have a gig, not have a gig for a long time. And having this passive income gives you the freedom to choose that career path and not worry about your livelihood because your livelihood is supported by passive income. And that allows you to actively work where you feel passionate. And that's the choices that I wanna create for her. So my work with Jordan has been just experimenting with with her and giving her an opportunity to do it for herself, to bank with herself, to invest with herself, to try it, to fail, and then to allow her to use what she's learned to teach others. Because I think that's like the real way to, to learn something is, you know, when you can teach it back. Absolutely. I went to a Tony Robbins thing several years ago, and that's what I took away from the entire experience was if you really want to make money doing what you're doing or doing what you love, teach others to do it. You can start out with the consumer, but teaching others in your same industry is how you truly monetize through education. And that was the premise of this entire podcast was to educate people, not necessarily on what I do, but to educate people on how failure 
I think it sounds so taboo because there's so many sayings about it, but talk to anyone successful. Failure has shaped their success more than anything else. More than anything else. But before I touch on that, I wanted, what's the name of your daughter's first and second book? You said the first book was more about monetizing and finding what you're good at, but what's the second one? Oh, the second one is her beating. She just wrote this one this past summer. Uh, My beating business planner. And so my daughter, right before the end of the school year, like a week before the school year ended, she was like, mommy, I want to start a, um, a beating, a bracelet beating business. I was like, okay. She was like, I was watching this. I was listening to this podcast on, on Instagram. And this girl was talking about how she asked her grandmother for $25 to invest in some supplies so that she could sell some beads so she could buy some jeans. And so I was thinking maybe you could invest and give me $25 and I'll pay you back with interest. The fact that <laughs> she said she would pay jeans. me back with interest. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and so I took her to Michael's or one of those craft stores and got her some beads. And um, she was taking orders the next day. And we went to the store to go get the beads. And I'll never forget, she's standing in the store and she's realizing that the price of the beads in the store was not the price she saw online. And so she starts to cry. And I'm like, Jordan, what's wrong? And she's like, I already told them how much they would be. I'm not even gonna make a profit. And so she's crying, like, I feel so stupid. And I was like, Jordan, don't waste your, don't waste the, this this experience. I said first, you can you have you have options. You could communicate to your customers and let them know, hey, I made a mistake, or you could communicate to your customers that this was an introductory price and moving forward, this is what the price would be. Um, but what are you afraid of most? And she was, I said, like, you're afraid that your friends don't won't be your friends anymore if you tell them that the price is different. And I, I realized that these were opportunities to help her develop, you know, her emotional intelligence and, you know, real business mm-hmm. skills evolve around have, being able to communicate effectively. I was like, Jordan, do you see how prices of like right now eggs are going up? Customer, and, you know, these business owners have to communicate to us that the prices are going up and it doesn't feel good for them to tell us that either, but they do. So it well, happens the reality in real is- time. The reality is you're going to you're going to make those miscalculations in your business. Mm-hmm. That's there's yeah. going to be years and for a lot of small business owners 2022 and 2023 are going to be those years where you don't make money mm-hmm. and you have to pivot and you have to find a way to survive in order to make it to the next year to see yeah. a green number. So that's an incredibly valuable lesson. Yeah, right and so alone. that was that was like one of one of many lessons she learned over the summer. So as she was going through the summer, she was keeping like a journal. And so we got to like, oh, I want to say like around the end of summer. And I was like, Jordan, why don't you turn your journal entries into a book where you tell a story about this process and what you've learned along the way? Because once we had that experience, we went home and I made her do math. And I was like, okay, Jordan, you just bought these beads count look at the back of the box and look and look how many beads are in this measure how many beads it takes to make one single bracelet divide the number of beads by the number of beads it takes to make a bracelet to find out how many bracelets you can make from this but one box and then figure out what's your per unit cost so jordan was learning like the cost of production because of that mistake we wouldn't have had that conversation and so what we did together was we co-authored this book And so she wrote her journal entries and I created curriculum that had, you know, math activities 
and um, for kids to be able to learn how to make purchasing decisions, for example. Um, for them to understand how to calculate the cost and how to budget, um, you know, the money that they made, you know, um, how to get organized. One of the things she realized later on is she was taking her orders and she was starting to forget, like, this customer wanted what kind of custom pieces? And yeah. so everything that she learned around, along the way, we just turned it into an activity so that, you know, a child who bought this book could read her journal entries and then understand the activity in context. Like Jordan's telling you she's in the store and she's sad she made a mistake. And then you see the cost of production worksheet. You know, um, so that was one that we did together this summer. And that was great because we were able to take that workbook and then teach it in um, some kids camps this summer. Jordan got to be an instructor, uh, which gave her a lot of humility um, for her teachers. She realized how how hard it is to, <laughs> to mm -hmm. show up and, and get, you know, kids to be engaged and earn their trust. And, you know, over a few days, they got really excited. But the beginning was like, wow, mom, it's really hard. <laughs> Um, yeah. So this has all been a, a great learning experience for Jordan. I have great expectations for her. Um, that's that's my greatest work I'll ever do. This Young Rich and Rooted is, you know, God has created a, a mission in me, but in her, I cannot imagine what will come of her just being beside me along the way. That's beautiful. I mean, that's beautiful, especially the the two books that you're discussing, the, the one you just showed me, the, the budgeting, it, we've spent a year creating something, oh, two, almost two years now, creating something similar, but yours, I love, yours is different in the way that it's journal entries. I love that, that's so different. And she, they're her journal entries mm -hmm. that she's, I mean, that's very relatable from a child's perspective. How did you develop the curriculum? Because that's a little bit more complicated because you have to go in line, if you want it to be taught in a, in a classroom, it has to go in line with what they already have to teach. Right, so one of the things we're working on doing is getting it into into public schools. So we were able to teach this in some summer camp programs and some tutoring programs over the summer, but we're working now to try to get into schools. Her first book is in public schools and that in itself was kind of like, it just kind of happened. Jordan we had gotten like the sample copy of the book um, that day and she took it to school without me knowing and I didn't, I didn't realize it. And um, I got a phone call from her librarian like on a Sunday and was like, we were, I was proctoring Jordan's SOL test and she's at a fifth grade at this point. And she said, I told Jordan, you can't have books on your desk while you're tutoring the test. So I took the book from her. And while we're doing the test, I happened to flip it over and realized Jordan's picture was on the back. And she was like, Jordan, why would you, write a whole book and not tell the librarian. Um, <laughs> and so she is asked like, can I put some media feelers out? And I really didn't understand what she meant by that. But I was like, sure, why not? That was like a Sunday, Wednesday, I got a call from the principal and was like, Channel 13 News wants to know if they can come to the school to interview Jordan and do a book reading. And I was like, okay. Yes, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's not in schools. The newest workbook is not in schools yet. Um, we're working on figuring out if we want to roll it out as, you know, um, something where they can just have the content already packaged and the teachers can teach it. Um, if we want to come in and do um, lunch and learns with the with the teachers and, and, and talk to them. And um, so we're trying to figure out what's the best way to go about getting it into the schools. But the way the curriculum came about was literally, I just took what I did with her. If, if I felt like if it worked for her, it's, gonna work for someone else her age. So when she 
wasn't really sure how to understand cost of production, I had a pen and paper out and I was writing out how to do the math problem. And I literally just took it out and was like, okay, Jordan, uh, here are cost, you know, uh, purchasing decisions. You can go into the, the, um, the craft store and you can buy an organizer, you can buy scissors, you can buy a needle, you can buy thread, you can buy business cards, you can buy glue, but what's the minimum number of things you need to make a, a set of beads? Like bare minimum to get started, right? And then we talked about reinvesting that back into your business that, okay, Jordan, you made this money. If you spend it all and then somebody asks to place an order, you don't have anything to start with. And so that's when we got into like budgeting, like what, how can you, make sure that you always have money. And so Jordan had been budgeting with her own banking system for a while. We have a five bank system. Um, her banks consist of her give, save, spend, enrich, which is her bank for personal development. Um, so she likes to use that to buy books or takes courses. And then her mommy 401k, which is I match her dot penny for penny. But the rule is she is not allowed to withdraw that until she turns 18. Right. So she's had that since she was little. Um, and um, sometimes I feel some kind of way when she wants to put too much in that bank account. <laughs> I'm like, shouldn't you That's put something so in? cute. <laughs> but we took that same process of learning percentages and how to break those into those banks and applied it to business. So we put a percentage for profit, a percentage for owner's pay, a percentage for taxes, a percentage for expenses, and a percentage for giving. Because with Jordan's beating business, um, she gives 10% um, to a different charity every quarter, a local charity. Wow. Mm. That's so awesome. <laughs> See, so. that's, gosh, this took a turn that I didn't think it was going to turn. I could talk about this all night long. <laughs> um, I mean, you don't see a child, at least in this. So I was, I was invested in a lot and I, and I took, uh, pride in investing in my knowledge of financial literacy not so much the budgeting side, more the, the stock market side, the trading side. Mm -hmm. But what you're teaching is something that is just now, I have saw it on the news, they're starting now to make this part of a high school curriculum, which I think is so overdue. Now it's in some public schools, and I don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure in, their, their, in some public schools, it's required to graduate now. Did you hear about this? Yeah, and so I think Florida's, it's required to graduate now. Virginia, it's not, but my daughter's school district, it is. So Virginia, the state is not, but Virginia Beach, which is the city we live in, it is required. So they haven't got it statewide yet. Um, I wanna say, I think I read like 13 states it's, been, it's mandatory um, to graduate, but that's, that's not so nearly enough. No, no, and, I want, and I'm unsure of what the curriculum actually is based on, but. I'm thinking it's probably based more on saving and budgeting, which is a great place to start. But I doubt in you know one school year or one semester, depending on how your school operates, mm -hmm. you're able to really encompass things like budgeting, banking, just, and then investing. Just like English, we repeat it every year because it needs to build. And I think like this is something that should be introduced. Like I, I am proof that I, that this could be introduced to a child at four years old. Uh, yes, at that time, absolutely. we were working with pennies because that's a do denomination she could understand, but that's enough to get the get her brain thinking in that direction. And so we need to be doing that regularly. And I worked in higher education for over 13 years, and it was frustrating for me to see that it was not a requirement to graduate college. I felt like 
you know, we're taking a lot of classes that we know we are never going to use in our life. We're just not going to use. We're going to school to be a psychologist and we got to take biology and, you know, okay, it's useful, but like, maybe you'll use it, but probably not, right. but you definitely are going to use money. And, and my frustration was that we are all going to school to learn a skill to earn money. And at no point they thought it was important for us to learn how to manage the money we're going to make. I, call me a conspiracy theorist but i feel like it has been intentional there's this there's, there's no way that we don't understand that financial literacy is necessary so i feel like us not being educated was to allow to keep us as consumers because if we become educated we will become their competition instead of their customer we will become i feel like it's more archaic than even that i think it's more mm. old than even, i think that there was a time not too long ago where if you went to college you were wealthy and they presumed that you already had access to this knowledge at home <laughs> and then the education system opened up and they didn't change the curriculum in a broad-based term that's a great point i think that's what happened and they're just like oh well you know this someone or some people were probably had a conversation or they didn't everyone just kind of knew there's going to be the haves and there's going to be the have nots and we don't have to do anything because even if more people are going to college and getting an education still the haves will have access to this information and the have nots won't <laughs> i have never thought about it like that but i think that is absolutely a plausible theory i i yeah it makes sense to me yeah. I mean, think about it. Who was going to college 75 years ago? Right. And even if you were from a disadvantaged community, you know, you know, like an African-American many years ago, if you got to go to college, you probably were still a little well off. You probably were still the child of a local business owner or something to be able to afford to go. Um, you know, just but thinking about like- you did home. go, they didn't care if you- had access to those resources cool you got an education mm -hmm. but why would we teach you about anything that matters about getting a step ahead that's what i think happened i've had that conversation with um my business partner not too long ago and he and he said something very similar to what you just said like it just it's this grand scheme against minorities and uh, under i'm like i think i don't think it was a grand scheme recently I think it was a grand scheme and then no one gave a shit to change it because it was kind of one of those things that just worked out in their favor. Mm -hmm. You know, they were just kind of like, oh, well, you know what? The same message, the same goal is achieved without us doing anything. Right. And they're right. Now we have communities in more debt than they've ever been in. Cool, mm -hmm. they have a, a degree in history or they're an engineer, but they have no idea how to handle money. Mm-hmm. And in my community, because African-American women pursue degrees at a faster pace than any other group of people, we are taking, we're actively pursuing education because we believe this myth that if we go to college, automatically our life will be better and, and then have no education to support how we manage that debt, what we could have done with that debt. Like I'm not uh, one of those people who subscribe to like no debt. I believe in leveraging debt um, as opposed to consuming debt. But, I didn't have that education to even think in that direction that, 
some of the things that you could do. And so it's it creates even more wealth gap spread because we're following, that's why I said without context, we're, we're sold this American dream without context. So we're sold, you go to college without really getting the big picture that, well, you might get a job. I remember clearly, I like, it never occurred to me as a child that I wouldn't get to be what I wanted to be. And that whatever I wanted to be, I think I always assumed that it would pay enough. Like there was no point where I thought whatever I chose, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Nobody ever asked, is that going to pay enough? It's like, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a whatever it is that you want to be an artist. And no one ever asked you to look up what an artist makes when you're in fifth grade. And so you have this belief that's planted when you're a child, later when you go to college, that if I just follow this path, it works. It works. And it's not true. It might, but it's not necessarily gonna work. And it's not working for a lot of people. It might, but for so many people, especially in a time where inflation is the way that it is, more people are having to take a hard look at their lifestyle and their careers and the choices they've made over the course of their adult, not not just their adult life, but their childhood, like what you're talking about. It's, did, where did I mess up? Where, where, what, when did I take the wrong turn? And there's nothing wrong with having a regular job. There's nothing Absolutely. wrong with that. I think where I think people, it's hard for me to even be empathetic at this stage because there's so much information available at our fingertips <laughs> and everybody, everybody has a freaking phone. It's, it's almost what you choose to look at now. Mm -hmm. I could, I can walk by your phone and say financial literacy and your explore page will have our podcast pop up or your page will pop up. I think there's, the information problem is becoming less of an issue because information is becoming more readily available. It's our culture, mm -hmm. our culture, mm -hmm. which does not prioritize what we're talking about. Completely agree. Completely agree. Um, so it's really you know, dope to see, see your 14 year old talking about it. <laughs> I, and my, my hope is that these, I don't, I don't think that these lessons will ever like escape her because they're so ingrained into oh. her naturally. But my hope is that she avoids a lot of the mistakes that, you know, I made with money. I realize that failure has been um, a great educator and um, a catalyst for, you know, my growth in my business. But she doesn't need to fail in the same way. She's gonna have her set of failures that's gonna move her forward, but it doesn't have to be the ones that I made. But where do you feel like you failed? This whole, this podcast is about failure. Where did you fail? Did we even get there? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I hear I hear my fourteen year old coming in. <laughs> um, I don't. I, I failed um, not really understanding the connection between like my emotional health and financial health, I, like how depression and grief um, and an abusive relationship almost made me lose everything twice. And same I, person? I'm sorry. Depression. Same person, two different. Same person. You said twice. Yeah. Foolish. Mm -hmm. Same person. <laughs> I did that. I, I, I did it twice. I didn't learn my lesson. Um, you know, because we had a child together. And so it felt like 
I'll try. And and I still hadn't really developed so like I and now when I look back at it, I was like, man, I really didn't love myself. And it showed up in more ways than just that relationship. It showed up in what I accepted as pay from my employer, the amount of out like I felt like I was just lucky to be chosen and I could not really see my value. I had major abandonment issues and those abandonment issues caused me to overcorrect and over deliver and over give. So when it came to money, it would mean that I, I was afraid that I'd be disappointing my family if they asked me for money I didn't have to give. So even when I was homeless, I'm giving you the last dollars that I had to eat because you need it. Because I was afraid to disappoint them. When, you know, I was at work, I was working 13 hour days on a regular basis, feeling like I have to, sh I have to show up, you know, as, as black people, we're here, we got to work twice as hard to do to get half as much. Right. And I felt like I had to make up for a stigma of black people in particular being lazy. So you wouldn't catch me even close to looking like lazy. Oh no, I'm going to be here before all of y'all and be here well after all of y'all. I'm going to be doing the absolute most when other people are not having to do that. And it, I wasn't getting paid more to show up at 150%. And if I loved myself, I would have prioritized my own well-being because it was burning me out. It wasn't leaving me space to work on my business. It wasn't leaving me space to have quality time with my child. Um, but I'd say that that last time, and this was the lesson where I felt like well, God was allowing me to go through this. So I, I, and by then I realized. You asked for wisdom, he gave you a hurdle. <laughs> he gave me this and I was like, okay, you allow me to go through this to use it. It was, it was, I was buying my peace. I felt like I know that this, these are bad decisions financially to just pay for it all, to just, but I felt like it's that or get into a fight. And I just couldn't take the emotional trauma. And at this point, you know, when, when, when it happened the first time my daughter was little, so she didn't, didn't remember. At this age, she has an awareness. So I have a desire to, to, to not create chaos for her to keep peace. So I'm sabotaging all the work I did financially to avoid a fight, to avoid abuse, to avoid creating angst in her. And, um, you know, part of me doesn't actually think I would do anything differently again, meaning as far as when you're thinking about your physical safety, um, but part of me knows that what I really needed was therapy. What I needed was to tell people what was going on so that I could have support. And if I had activated those resources, I might not have had to make such drastic financial choices that put me, you know, in a situation where I almost had lost everything I worked for. Going from being homeless to buying my first house within four years, that was a major win for me. Like, I felt That's like... huge. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, that was work. That was effort. It meant something to me. So to put that in jeopardy and put her in jeopardy again, that was very devastating. And it shook how my confidence in this work, because I, by then, even though I wasn't doing this officially, I knew that this was what I was supposed to do, was sitting here in my gut. But it made me feel like, who am I? Who am I to um, 
who am I to, I'm sorry, um, who am I to teach other people about money, to teach people, you know, what to do? And I thought it had disqualified me when I realized now that it is what qualifies me. Because exactly. the reality is, is that- That's what I was about to say. There is nothing in a book that can teach you what I understand about money. When my clients come to me and they feel anxious, I can see and feel that on a cellular level because I remember so clearly what it felt like, how vulnerable you feel going to somebody to tell them, you know, I need help. And so it allows me to have an empathy that I wouldn't have been able to understand if I read about it in a book. Like in theory, I could have read about it, but I wouldn't understand the way I do now. I wouldn't understand um, why you would know what to do and still not choose it. Like, I know it makes no sense to put it all in my name, but when you are in an abusive situation or you're feeling depressed or you're dealing with grief, I know what it feels like to not be able to activate, activate your knowledge. Yeah, I, I was in a physically abusive relationship for two and a half years in college. We were not married and did not have a child. Thank God. <laughs> but I struggle to this day. I still shut down when um, I hear people or a conversation being had with someone who's never been in an abusive situation. And I think the most harmful I'll never forget this. One of the most harmful conversations you can have with someone who's been in an abuse, an abused relation, abusive relationship is, well, why did you stay? Or um, if it was so bad, why didn't you tell someone? Why didn't you call the police? And because you've been in one, we don't have to have this conversation and hash it out. But you are not, I guess I can't say that. Speaking for myself, I got to a point, and it happens gradually. I, will, I remember the first time things escalated. He threw a pillow at me. That wasn't in my mind, never being in a situation like this. That's not abusive. I said in my head, he was angry. He threw a, it's a pillow. Shut mm -hmm. up. But then every single time after that incident, it got worse. And li a little bit. And by the time you're at the end of it, you're getting you know, slapped in the face because another dude messages you on social media. Mm -hmm. Like it just, and by that, by that point, I didn't know who I was. I had no friends that you're totally isolated. I could not imagine being in that situation and I can't imagine what I would have done if I had a child or if I was married, the stakes were so much higher and it was hard enough for me to get out of it when I had none of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, your experience is such a niche, 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 niche. <laughs> it's such a niche that not everyone's gonna understand it. As a business owner, this is another very valuable thing that I've learned as a business owner. If you're listening, save yourself years and just start doing this now. There's it's okay to say no. no. You don't have to work with everyone. You have to work with people that subscribe to your truth. Mm. And that sounds like that's what you've already, what you've done. Maybe you didn't do that from the, from the jump, but it sounds like you did. It sounds like yeah. you did. Over time, I got more clear. I remember like not wanting to like eliminate people. I didn't want people to feel bad if I was excluding them. Right. But I realized that I couldn't serve them best 
And if I really care about them making progress and that's all I care about, I want the people who really can speak to your problem to serve you. And that's what I care about. So I get people who reach out to me all the time and they desire to work with me. You know, I had a client reach out to me and you know, they were um, in the middle of a divorce and I have lots of financial coach friends and, and I happen to know a financial coach friend of mine who deals with divorced couples only. And I just felt like that was a better fit for them. They have built relationships with divorce attorneys. Like there are just so many resources mm-hmm. that they're more they're intentional about creating that um, I don't focus on. It's not the priority for me. I build relationships with therapists because I know that a lot of my ideal clients, you know, are, you know, dealing with trauma. And um, and so sometimes we need to work in tandem together. That yes. And so therapists are uncovering that their clients are coming to them because they feel depressed, but at the root of that sits they can't afford to do what's best for them. And so they realize that having a financial coach who can help them learn to manage their money better will allow them to make some of these choices that are making them feel so depressed. So I realized the correlation between those relationships. And so now I realize it's just about, I can't possibly, it's, it's only 24 hours in a day. If I desire to help everyone, I couldn't. So if I only have a limited uh, amount of time, let me help the people I can be most effective at helping. And those are people who share my experience. My ideal client is a lot like me. So it's very easy for me to create content around them. Um, now that I have accepted that, that's my niche because I'm talking so to younger me. <laughs> it's so important. And I wish business owners, I, I don't know why there's shame in it, but there is because I felt it. And I, I think the shame comes from you felt rejected before you would hate to do that to someone else at least that's how my mind processes it i felt unwanted before i don't want someone else but the truth is there's enough for everyone to go around Mm -hmm. and i've said it once i'll say it twice i'll say it a hundred times you are one client away from losing everything a business owner is one client away from losing everything serve the people that you love to work with If you're that close to failing or that close to a lawsuit, because that's just the world we live in, that's just the world we live in, serve who you want to serve. Serve the people that speak to you. I, it took me years. Oh my God, it took me years to figure that out. How do you think failure has shaped you as an individual? Hmm. Um more recently it has reignited my relationship with God because it took me depending on I think for I think that I know for a fact that 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 the um assault damaged my relationship with God for a long time I believed God I wanted to say that I trusted him but really I didn't and it was kind of like well I trust you God but just in case let me go ahead and uh and it created a safety net. Like I felt like I had to be a safety net for God when it should have been the other way around. And so last year during my foolish quest for trust, <laughs> um, <laughs> God showed me that, you know, I, I've heard the serenity prayer a million times because I know it's something that they use for people who have substance, substance abuse, but someone said it to me in, in the context of like dealing with like grief and, and, um, and it was, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Meaning letting go of control. 
like there are going to be some things you absolutely cannot change. The courage to change the things I could and the wisdom to know the difference. And I feel like this, this past couple of years has given me an opportunity to see God show up for me. When things don't go exactly the way I thought they would go, I've become, I call it joyfully curious how he's going to do it then. Like, like it's like weird. I was like, who, who is this person? Because I'm one of those people who want to plan out everything. Like, I literally designed a planner. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who is this person who doesn't need to think through everything? Like, I got to a point where I'm like, okay, it's on you, God. And so when things don't go right, I'll be like, okay, so how you going to do it then? I just can't wait to see how it all, like, <laughs> I thought it was going to be this. I thought it was going to be this, but it's not. So how I'm are you going to do it? Yeah. You get your popcorn it, out. That that willingness to just trust that is going to work out some way. And my responsibility is to pay attention to the cues, the clues that God of the universe is constantly, constantly sending me. Like that's my role is to pay attention to the signs and activate. That's do what I can do. The rest of it is is up to God. Failure has forced me to realize that I don't have to do this alone and I shouldn't not just on a spiritual level, but from a, you know, all the trauma I went through, I should have had a support system. I should have talked to my family. I should have talked to my friends. Um, I should have asked for support. As a financial coach, the beauty of leading into my niche is it allows me to collaborate because I don't want all the customers and I get to give some away. It allows us to build businesses together. I run like a power hour every Friday and it's just a bunch of financial coaches and we spend like the first 15 minutes talking about issues we're having in our business and giving ideas on how to support. And then we quietly work for a few hours and get back on and share what we got done. That wouldn't have happened if, if I was afraid to collaborate. And me being, failing enough times to say no 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 i don't want to learn everything all by myself like we all have strengths in the financial world and weaknesses and we can all give to like i just i had to get over my ego um failure has created a beautiful humility in me and um and i wouldn't have it any other way i always say god why you gotta be so dramatic like i feel like god does the most Like you really could have given me this purpose without um, allowing the assault, but whatever. You in your infinite wisdom, <laughs> <laughs> you always gotta take it to like this level. I saw a really funny. I'll have to send it to you on Instagram, and it was like this god, this guy talking to God. And he was like, "I do not want to be on your soldiers list for this year. Like I don't want any. Like I'm not. I'm done. I'm unsubscribing." Like it was. Yes, I, I, I really resonated it with it. Can handle more than you. I can't bear no. I'm good on that. Oh, maybe um, yeah, you saw that's, it. <laughs> that's my constant joke with my sister is, here go God being uh, dramatic. Or for me, when he gives me messages, I feel like he's being aggressive. I'd be like, I mean, sheesh, okay. okay like, correct you. me. <laughs> you know, show me oh, a, a, a Instagram reel and I'd be like, okay, okay, I get it. It's scary. I I, yes. Instagram reels, they preach to me on the daily. Also, I have to say, watching The Chosen, I a lot of people have watched it already. I have not. I just started it. But it has been so good for re- reigniting just my faith. I guess seeing that, seeing it visually was really good for me. Have you watched The Chosen? No. Before? Is it on Netflix? <gasps> 
Netflix or what is it? Okay, so Netflix recently uploaded the first season. Do you know what it is? No. So in my opinion, you don't have to co-sign this, but in my opinion, a lot of the religious shows or religion religious reenactments are like really tacky and cheesy. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for me to follow them. The Chosen was really well done and it's all about just Jesus's journey through his life. And it it walks you through biblically correct, biblically correctly, just certain very popular stories in the Bible. And it was so good for, it's incredibly relatable and it's very well done. And it just really humanizes the entire, the, the entire journey of Christ. And you, you realize a lot of the problems you and I have are very similar to the problems that they had. And it just, watch it and let's I, I, have a I'm little high, power already... hour. It's, it's <laughs> really, really good. When we get off, probably be the first thing I look up. Like, I cry almost up. every episode. Like it's, it's really, and a lot of people have said the same thing. It's really replenished their faith. And I have to say for me, I, those signs that we're talking about, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm just dumb, but a lot if I'm not close with God or you know in one of my seasons where I'm doing my devotion every day or I'm just every day I'm putting something into my brain into my, into my day that has to do with God, I miss those things. I miss those signs. Mm-hmm. I have to be I have to feel close with God to understand what he's doing in my life. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? No, it does. I know on the days where I am struggling to be as productive as I want to be, or I'm not feeling inspired, or I feel like maybe depression may set up a little bit. And I'd be like, have you been doing your your strong starts? Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you been doing your morning routine? You know, have you been doing your praying, your listening to, you know, a motivational podcast in the morning, exercising? Have you been doing those things? that make you feel connected to God? Have you been listening for his voice before anybody else's voice filters yours? I absolutely had to learn to drown out my own voice for a while because I didn't have good habits of talking to myself yet. I wasn't kind to myself for a long time. I was very judgy. It's a lifelong journey. That is a lifelong journey. Mm -hmm. So I got to start off listening to somebody else speak life into me and then I feel empowered. And then I usually come back from my walk like, oh, I can't wait to create. <laughs> like I come back so excited and so inspired when I skip those steps of spending a few minutes with God and few, you know, doing gratitude in the morning has completely, completely shifted a lot of things for me. Because it, I think it's like a law of attraction. You attract what you focus on. And because I spend yes. every morning telling God what I'm grateful for that occurred the previous day I just attract more things to me and it for it it created a habit of looking for the silver lining and failures because I was looking for gratitude sometimes the previous day was just like a complete clusterfuck and and I gotta go well I'm glad I got in a car accident because um if I had it <laughs> I might have missed the phone call. Like, I have you know, these I, examples. I, yeah, I got to do the most because me and God are both dramatic, you know. Yeah. Me and his image, and he's extra. So, right. <laughs> me and his image. So, yeah, I, I feel like it's it's created a habit of saying, even when I can't find something easy to be grateful for, I refuse to, to not try to find 
how God can use this. So I say, nothing happens to me, everything happens for me. My job is to figure out how are you going to use this? Like, okay, I'm homeless. How are you going to use this? Oh, it turns out that during that journey, I discovered all kinds of grant programs. I bought my first house with $21,000 in grants that I would have never probably looked into before because wow. they wanted uh, need. And so now it's got me to a point where I'm joyfully curious about it. And so gratitude allows me to look at everything back. Gratitude allows me to look at the assault and say, thank you, God. Thank you for allowing that to happen to me because I would not be serving. I can't imagine my life not doing what I'm doing right now. Like there are so many times I wake up and I go, I cannot believe I'm doing what I said I wanted to be when I grow up. I don't think I told you that was in fifth grade. They asked me on career day, what you want to be when you grow up? And I said, um, I know I didn't want to be like a doctor or a nurse or nothing's wrong with those careers guys. But <laughs> I just knew that wasn't it, but I didn't know what it was. And I didn't want to get chosen. Of course, when you don't want to get picked, they pick you. And I said, mm -hmm. I don't, yeah. I just know I like math and number and money and um, maybe something helping people, but I don't know if that's a thing. And I didn't realize until I was 19 in college and I was listening to this you presentation um, on pr for Primerica and it was the first time I ever even heard the term financial advisor. <laughs> and I remember flashing back to fifth grade and going, oh, that's what it's called. I found it. It's a real career. I, so right now I'm in a place where I'm like, I cannot believe I get to wake up every day and do what I said when I didn't even know it was a thing, but I knew the elements that I enjoyed, that there was a whole career created for me to thrive in. And so if I had to go through that to get to this place, to be able to impact millions of women's lives, I survived it. So I'm okay with it. Like I'm, I'm good with it. I'm, I have gratitude. The, the, the stuff I went through with my daughter's dad, I have to have gratitude. Because let me tell you something. If he had been a, even a little less um, overbearing or more helpful financially, physically, I could have made this mistake with a bunch of other dummies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I had No, you're not. Crash. That's the truth. <laughs> well, not even that. Like I, it, I wish we would have touched on this sooner, but a lot of people that go through what we, we've gone through continue to go through it and then they can they pass down that cycle to their children you broke it you broke it she was actually the catalyst for the, the decision to leave I remember hearing my daughter say one day like um, I don't ever want to get married because all married people do is fight and first of all I was married but you know I understood what she was coming through was about relationships and I was like that's not the message that I want her to have and so I told her I said um Jordan I don't want to paint you a picture that relationships are fairy tales and unicorns right like you know we all love Disney but like that's not how relationships really work however the you should choose somebody who makes you happy more than they make you sad that makes you laugh more than they make you cry you should have more good days than bad days and I realized later that I was telling her to do this and she was watching me do something completely different. And I had to leave that relationship in order to give her a chance to know what a healthy relationship might look like for her to choose herself, for her to walk away 
and choose herself. And so now she sees me in a healthy relationship. And she told oh, yay. me, <laughs> yay. She told me, you and daddy wasted a lot of time together. <laughs> um, <laughs> she was, you know, just things like quality time. Like y'all, you know, you and daddy, y'all were in the house together, but you guys never really did anything together. And I just thought that was normal because I didn't know what it looked like, but y'all, go and do random things y'all have fun y'all talk y'all laugh all the time and so I am forever grateful that I've given my daughter an opportunity to see both um it's so important to see to get given her an opportunity to see both to see that you do need to be cautious that that people can be charming outwardly and can be something different behind closed doors and that there are also people who are loving and nurturing and that you deserve to be treated well and you can be treated well um and so you know i'm grateful i if if i hadn't gone through that experience i wouldn't have chose such a peaceful relationship i know i wouldn't have i wouldn't have known how important peace was to me to choose somebody who was a naturally resourceful person who was a problem solver, I realized all the things that I needed for me to thrive in my business, to thrive as a person, to thrive financially. It took seeing the opposite. Like, you know, they say like, you don't know beauty until you've seen something ugly or you don't know, you know, light until you've seen darkness. It required that for me to really see what I needed. I didn't know what I want, you know, that, you know, going into it, I didn't know what I was supposed to be as a wife, as a, as a woman, but I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just figuring this out in the dark you're learning um, yeah yeah so that failure it's it's i'm grateful i'm grateful for it i, I have nothing but gratitude um yeah your daughter doesn't know it yet but she'll be grateful for it too because i would argue that an example of what not to embody of not of not what the relationship that you don't want to have is just as powerful as seeing one that you do. I grew up in a two-parent household. My parents have been together since they were 12 years old. I thought that that's what all relationships looked like. So my, I, the other end, right? Like I saw my parents fight, but I saw them work through it. I saw my parents kiss and hold hands. So I thought you went to high school or maybe, maybe college if you're a late bloomer, you found the love of your life, you got married and you had a couple kids, you lived in a big house, you worked hard. That's not how mm -hmm. most relationships go down today. No, you're and, giving and your was, daughter the best of both. And, I, you know, similarly, my parents have been married for over 50 years. And and I think I stayed because I felt like I had an opportunity to have my dad in the house. And I felt like I was robbing her of that opportunity because mm -hmm. while he's a great parent emotionally, maybe not financially, but emotionally, <laughs> he loves her. And I felt like she deserved an opportunity to have that part, have that kind of relationship. And I realized actually the best way to give her that was to separate. Because if she was being witness to all of the trauma, it was gonna eventually create a divide. And you know, it was gonna make her feel a way about her dad because of how he treats her mother or a way about me because of how I'm responding to that. And, um, and separating was best for her to have a healthy relationship with both of us. And so that she doesn't have to carry that trauma into, because those little things that that doesn't seem like that's about money, but those little life moments that can carry into how she thinks about money. If she is afraid of conflict because she watched us fight all the time, she's going to be afraid to bring up 
tough conversations with her husband because she's afraid it's gonna turn into a fight the way her parents did. Mm -hmm. So it was important for me to understand that everything that happens in my life can affect her and it definitely can affect her money. So I needed to be transparent as, as much as she's emotionally capable of handling. I think that that's incredibly powerful. And um, I'm so thankful that you came on tonight and shared all of this. What is the best way, Coach B, for you to get contacted? Which, which way do you prefer? Um, you can visit my website, uh, www.youngrichrooter.com. If you want to schedule you know, a Q&A chat with me to talk about your financial goals and see if financial coaching is a good fit for you, um, you can DM me because the girl chats back on Instagram at youngrichrooted. Um, both my daughter and I monitor ours. Hers is at bornrichtv if you got some little ones. Um, who yes. want to connect with my serial kidpreneur. Um, yeah, that's I it. Saw that in your bio. It, it, I was like, kidpreneur, I love that. I'm not making yes. you feel that. <laughs> approved by her. Jordan's got a green light, everything that goes out <laughs> about her. Um, so yeah, awesome. I am She'll on a mission to help women become financially unfuckwittable so that they can grow and prioritize self-care without fear, without shame, and without guilt. That's awesome. Thank you again. Thank you for We're having gonna me. We're going to tag all of this it all of this in the bio. I would love to tag your daughter's information as well. Next time we'll have to have her on. I mean, if you're <laughs> okay. okay with it, having her on. Yeah. Um, we, we won't cuss. We'll keep it PG if she's if she's on. But I, mean, I think we did pretty good this episode. Kind of, I feel like I only we did really two. good. <laughs> we did really good. Like I wasn't even conscious. Like usually I'm like five to ten f words in, but um, and your text made me feel comfortable. So I'm su even more surprised that like we we didn't take it there. But we didn't <laughs> take it there. But that's yeah, cool. Um, I'm just so thankful for you. I not. It's not every week that I get to talk to someone who's fully transparent and just lays it out on the table. And those are my favorite types of people to talk to because I lack filter I'm working on it, but it's just so no, much easier to talk to someone like you where I don't have to watch every word I say. Um, so I appreciate it and I hope you have a good night. Thank you so much for having me, Kendall. It has been a pleasure chatting with you. I wanna encourage you never to turn on your filter. You are perfect exactly how you are and your audience is um, growing because of how you show up every week. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Night. Good night. <laughs>